Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys. I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. This was H.H. Holmes while awaiting his trial. This is the diabolical story of H.H. Holmes and his murder castle in Chicago, Illinois, America's first serial killer. Thank you for that sound effect. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm excited. Okay. So let's kind of start at the beginning here. Uh, there's a few backstories that are going to lead us up to Holmes's murder castle. So October 8th through 10th, 1871, Chicago had a major fire known as the Great Chicago Fire. No one really knows exactly how the fire started. Uh, rumors were going around that a cow kicked over a lantern, and that was kind of one of the most common stories. <laughs> Damn it, cows. Well, we've got cows. Yeah, we've got cows. It's, it's not completely unfounded because it did start at the O'Leary uh, farm. So they think that's how it happened. It, it, I think it did start at this farm, but they don't know exactly how it started. Of course, the O'Leary family was like, no, we didn't do it. But um, So we don't really know. But then stories ranged from it was intentional and uh, there were even stories that meteors could have started the fire. That's definitely plausible. Or aliens. Aliens, yeah. So we really don't know. Uh, Many of the structures in Chicago in 1871 were actually made of wood. So it literally did spread like wildfire. um, And it brought down tons, tons of the buildings at the time. Um, The city was very vulnerable to this kind of a disaster. So approximately 300 people died. There were 100,000 people homeless and uh, $200 million in damage. So luckily, though, two days into the fire, there was a really good rain that came, which aided the firemen in putting it out because we know firemen, they did struggle at this time and building codes were pretty much non-existent as far as how buildings were made and, and stuff like that. So fires were pretty serious. They're still serious, but... Yeah, at the time, they didn't have the resources, probably fire hydrants. Right. And without, like, building... I mean, there's the one of the most famous, the Great Triangle Fire, which was at the Triangle Shirt Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, this has nothing to do with this story, but it was a it, it was a fire that completely changed fire codes and created the idea that you have to have fire exits because they would lock their workers to keep them from leaving oh, and like yeah. taking breaks and stuff and so they were literally trapped so um, sad. and on top of that you had like mothers and daughters working hand in hand and then the husbands had to go like uh, uh, claim the bodies oh, of gosh, their daughters and their wives and so it was it was pretty tragic but Sorry, that has nothing to do with this. So the Chicago fire left a lot of damage, um, but their transportation system did remain intact. So it did keep the city still functioning. What's interesting, though, is even though the fire, the cause of it is undetermined, the fault of the fire did go to the O'Leary family. Today, the Chicago Fire Training Academy is on the site of where that O'Leary farm is. Oh, that's pretty neat. And in 1997, Catherine O'Leary and her cow were both exonerated by the Chicago City Council. So that's just a side note. I just thought it was funny that they exonerated her and the cow. Um, (laughs) That's that's good. Good news. So the silver lining, though, for the fire is this was a good time to, like, reconstruct and really make the city into what it is today. So architects, for the first time, began building skyscrapers, and a lot of jobs were created, 
bringing even more people to Chicago, even though the fire devastated the city uh, initially. So now come 1890, about 19, 20 years later, Chicago is a major hub, both economically and for transportation. Just real quick, isn't that kind of what happened uh, with the huge fire in Seattle? It kind of wiped out everything. And then when they rebuilt, it's like the amazing Seattle that stands today. Yeah, it was underground Seattle, right? And that what we was well, that from flooding or a fire? Now I can't remember. So we went to the underground tunnels, but okay. So when we did our first episode, I was saying that happened in Galveston, but mm-hmm. I'm a total dingus, and it was the Seattle story because we did go to Seattle on a sister trip, and um, we did go walk through the underground tunnels, which were super cool. But they were talking about how uh, like all the houses were built, you know, just like on sand and mud, basically. Anyways. Um, so so there was a fire and then there were floods and so it just like wiped out everything and it was just it was it was all gone it was totally no Seattle anymore until they But then they built it. a top. Correct. Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah, if you ever go to Seattle do the underground tunnel tours yeah. there it's Creepy wild to see cool. everything that's under there. And then you find out that there's all these little, like, glass, little, how do, not glass holes. I don't know what you call it, but, like. Yeah, they're, like, once glass they, mosaic tiles almost. Yeah, but yeah. You look, if you're underground and you look up, it's on the street. And you didn't realize yeah, you, you were didn't just realize. walking on those. Yeah, and so those mosaic tiles are, like, a little window into, you're walking underneath, like, old Seattle. It's so fascinating. It's so cool. And that would be we, an interesting episode, just to kind of talk about, like, how Seattle came to be because I love that like how how did this happen and how did you know like how did this building end up here and blah 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 so I just find that really fascinating so just Seattle has an interesting story my favorite part about that though is when you're walking through it you can actually see the old prohibition bars Mm -hmm. Um, obviously they're not in use but they look just as cool as you would think they do yeah and Chicago has a bunch of those too because that was Capone's time. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was in Chicago, my kind of town. Isn't our, I don't uh, own the rights to that music. Isn't our fun family fact that uh, Dad's dad worked with Capone? Uh, dad's grandfather. Our great-grandfather. Okay, our great-grandfather. Not yeah. worked with Capone. He was a police officer in he Chicago. He was the sidekick. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, he was like a part of the police force that like helped bring him down. Got it. See, this is why Ashley is the keeper of information because I get it all askew. The keeper of the kink. The countess of the, the clink. Keeper of the kink? Kink. I might keep. That's what she says, right? The keeper of the keep. The countess of the clink. I have no idea what you're referencing, so. From the musical Chicago. Oh, okay. I've only seen that like twice. It is great. Oh, I think I just <laughs> botched the lyrics so badly that, and I sang two st- Two Chicago songs in a row. Okay, I'm done. Um, Back to the original story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So Chicago was really thrown into the spotlight, though, because of one major event, and that was the World's Fair. So before this fair, there had been other World's Fairs previously held in other states and other countries. Um, In case you don't know what these sort of fairs are, they're basically massive exhibits from multiple countries that come in. So this is a venue that you're looking to be the venue to host the World's Fair. So people would come, they'd have exotic food, drinks, they'd visit exotic attractions. Uh, The U.S. calls them fairs, but other countries call them expeditions or, I'm sorry, expositions or expos or exhibitions. There's a lot of those words that sound almost exactly the same. Yeah, they do. Exhibitions, if you're in the U.K., that's what they called it. I feel like fair makes 
way more sense. It's like fun carnival kind of things. When I think expo, I think of the the home expos we were forced to go to as kids. Yeah. But it is kind of somewhere in the middle. Like it, it has the fair sort of idea. It had, you know, like the big, it did have like carnival rides and stuff like that. But it is also an expo because they're showcasing new technology. Remember, we're not talking about a time of like radio and TV. So they are, um, it is like a huge expo with it. it with a side of entertainment, you know, something okay. for the kids. So you would go there and you'd probably spend, I don't know, days, weeks. Make a whole make a whole trip, trip out, out of it. Of it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a one day thing. So when we talk about fairs, like in the United States, they're much smaller. There's county fairs and stuff like that where there might be like carnival rides. So this this was on a massive scale. So this fair, the World's Fair in Chicago, brought 27.5 million people to either move to or visit Chicago during the six month of six months of this expo, uh, exposition. I keep wanting to say expedition. It's not an expedition. Previous held fairs showcased technology, art, uh, but a lot of its uh, big pulls were like new inventions because we are at the time of the Industrial Revolution here. So some exhibits might include like the telephone, the typewriter, the steam engine. There was a calculator. Uh, In 1889, France had a World's Fair. Uh, This is where they actually revealed the Eiffel Tower. That is awesome. Yeah. So like that's how big these fairs were. Like these major architectural uh, draws that really brought people there. And visitors were just in awe and it inspired the United States to have their own World's Fair. We're just too far advanced now for them to be that cool. Right. And that's the thing. That's and I kind of say that towards the end, like we don't do World's Fairs today because you have TV and and everything else to see all the new inventions. So you're probably not going to go yeah. to some special event to go look at it. Want to go see the shake weight in person? The shake weight? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like t- 2000, but that's the first Something thing about that is like weirdly sexual and I don't like the shake weight, but we did have yes. one. Yes, that was a gag gift from our mom. Yeah. Um, So there were previous smaller sort of world's fairs in the United States, but they were not nearly as successful. Uh, New York and Philadelphia both had one. In fact, the world's fair that was held in New York actually lost the city money rather than gained the city money. So as we're getting closer here to 1893, New York, St. Louis, Chicago, Washington were all battling to be a venue to host the world's fair. So New York was and has been and still is the leading center for culture and the arts. Chicago was definitely considered lesser than New York at this time. So Chicago was only about 20 years post the Great Chicago Fire. So much of the city had been destroyed and they had been working to rebuild it, but this was really to Chicago the opportunity to really be able to get money into the city and and build everything that they wanted to build and and really bring a bunch of people to the city. So New York actually lost the vote to be the venue, which may seem shocking, except for the fact that I said that they hosted an unsuccessful one in the past. Um, Chicago was dubbed the Black City due to its pollution, poverty, um, mass massive immigration, and I would guess probably had something to do with the fire. But they did get the votes to host the 1893 World's Fair. And this would be the most significant World's Fair in U.S. history. This guaranteed work to many architects and to builders. So this was the World's Columbian Expedition the World's Fair 1893. So this was the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival into the Americas. So it just kind of worked out. 
So this was a six-month exhibit showcasing 40 countries and their culture, cuisine, inventions. Uh, for the first time, the United States saw skyscrapers. The name was actually given from the buildings being erected during the time of the World's Fair. So the World's Fair saw the first gas-powered motor car, of course, arts, new technology for the time, but a little different than prior expos, there was an abundance of entertainment. Like we said, they had shows, they had carnival rides, and a lot of the different countries like were host like doing shows for their countries. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like there was, you know, it'd be like Fiji or somebody like that having this like sort of, or like Hawaiian type Polynesian vibes. Like they would showcase Got things it. from their culture. And those were, that's what those shows were. And then there'd be food from there, um, carnival rides. So there was a lot for people to do. So yeah, you probably weren't just like spending the day here, getting your ticket to Disney World. Like, Yeah, I can't imagine how exciting that would be. Yeah. I, I mean, even today, just. Sorry, I said that wrong. It's like getting a ticket to Disney World. You're not going to Disney World for one day. Sorry, go ahead. No, just even today, I'm always in awe of the the cities in New York, Chicago, Seattle, even like downtown Houston, I'm still obsessed with. Yeah. Always in awe. I can't imagine like seeing a skyscraper for the first time. Yeah, I, that's what I really love about cities and honestly airports because you really see a bunch of different cultures and there's like an airport, there's not a standard for how to act. Like even if you're in your own home country, because somebody might just go to this airport, you know, as a stopping point, they might not ever even leave the airport. Like, you know, they're Mm -hmm. from Portugal or China or wherever, and they're stopping at your airport, airport, and they're on a layover. And and you just like really see like so many different colorful personalities at an airport. And this actually, I say this because I really was paying attention while I was in India. We were at one of the airports in India and it was a domestic flight. So, you know, I'm in their country and I'm standing there waiting for my luggage to come off the the carousel. Okay. I'm, I think it's the carousel. Like, I want to call it a trolley, but I know that's It's not, not a trolley. Um, coming off the carousel, and I, like I'm sitting there near the chute, and I'm like I'm standing there waiting for my stuff, and this lady just like steps in front of me, like bumps me out of her way, and I just like kind of giggle because I'm like, that was really common in India. Like what I consider common courtesy just does, it just isn't the same there. And it's like, it's no judgment towards the country. I mean, I feel like to me, it's natural to like, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, whatever. But that just didn't really exist there. And I found that really fascinating. And I was just like, man, an airport's a fascinating place to just see different people and how they act and just what's normal for them. Good on you for having that response. I'm definitely a people pleaser in life and always overly polite to others. But if some bitch stepped in front of me <laughs> to get her luggage, I would be like, excuse me, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, no. Don't be rude. I think that's what you have to like tell yourself when you go to other countries. Like I'm in, I'm in your house now, you know? Yeah. No, it, it is, it's rude to me by my standards, which we've been raised to have those standards. You go to another country. That's just not even a thought. Her thought is my bag's coming down. I'm going to get my bag. Yeah. And I'm just standing in her way. Like to her, probably I'm being rude because I'm standing in front of the carousel. My bag's not there yet, you know? But yeah. You know, you go to the U.S. airport and you have to like inch in and squeeze in to sit there to even get sight of your bag. So sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. Get out of my way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I I do find that interesting. But then, yeah, you go to the cities and Houston is one of the most diverse cities in the United States. So it's just really just interesting to watch and, you know, 
be a bystander around here. Our city is good for people watching, that's for sure. Definitely. So the biggest attraction at the 1893 World's Fair was Tesla's electric light bulb. Um, This took the fair to a new level and was immensely successful. So this is the part where the city, known as the Black City, now they start calling it the White City. It was now illuminated with light bulbs. Now, really, I say it's this part of the city because they didn't like magically have light bulbs now in all the buildings. They weren't prepared for electricity necessarily. That took a little while. But this part of the city was known as the White City. Um, It was also known as the cleaner part of the city. Of course, they cleaned it up for these attractions and to get people here. And then this is where you see uh, predominantly wealthy people living in Chicago. So many women sought work at the World's Fair. Thousands flooded the city for work. And during this time, women started going to college and they were just starting to see independence unlike they'd ever seen before. But they were coming to the city and they were coming alone, away from parents, away from, I mean, they like a lot of these were unmarried women. So they were just coming as single women here alone, away from home for the very first time. With this newfound independence, of course, comes new dangers like strange moustached men who lured them into his murder castle. I almost forgot we were talking about H.H. Holmes because of all the excitement of the fairs. Yes. <laughs> You're like, women coming alone, like, dun, dun, dun. Yes, now it's starting to come. Now we're going to get into H.H. Holmes. So I had to lay the groundwork for what was even happening in Chicago and why did H.H. Holmes even end up in Chicago himself because he was not born there. Another noteworthy event of the time is 1888. Jack the Ripper was um, had terrified Whitechapel in London, five sex workers dead with stolen organs and no one to answer for it. And here we are, America's about to have their own Ripper. So let's get into that. So the Mudgett family was some of the first white settlers in the 1700s in this area, New Hampshire. So Herman Webster Mudgett, before he was known as H.H. Holmes, was born May 16th, 1861. So what is he? What's his sign? I'm just thinking of Mudgett and no wonder he became a serial killer. Sorry. Okay. Well, there's still a Mudgett family that exists. Sorry. What? Oh my God. What? Wait, what, what did you say his birthday was? The 16th. Isn't that your sign? 16th. May. Oh, May. yeah. He's a Gemini. Gemini. Thank you. Yeah. Cause Actually, he might not be. Um, I think Gemini starts at 21st. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, <gasps> so he's a Taurus like me? Ew. He's a Taurus. Ew. <laughs> gross. Come on now. Sucks to suck. You tried to put that on me. <laughs> That's weird. Because you know very few serial killers are Tauruses. Well, like, yeah. Because they have buoyant and fascinating personalities and matters of self-expression. But he was a different kind of serial killer. So, okay, I'm going to talk about it, but I, I actually find that really fascinating. I mean, I'm not one that always, like, follows signs. I do find it interesting to, like, look at it, but I, I'm not, like, totally sold on it either. Um, Supposedly, he was bullied as a kid. He loved Edgar Allan Poe, which can be very morbid of the time. Yeah, I mean, even now, they're just kind of... They're great stories, but they're dark. Yeah, they are dark. So in the docuseries, American Ripper, which I do recommend, it was really interesting. So it's on currently, as of February 22nd, it's on Hulu. They do, it's several parts, but it's actually the great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett. He is convinced that his 
great-great-grandfather, H.H. Holmes, is Jack the Ripper. And so through this series, they're kind of, they're looking at H.H. Holmes, what he did here in America, but he's trying to connect him to Jack the Ripper. It's really interesting just kind of going through, you know, they go to his old house that he grew up in. A lot of these buildings still stand. Um, So anyway, it's it's just an interesting documentary. Uh, What I will say, a lot of the stuff in there was very circumstantial evidence, but just very interesting to think about. It really, really gets your um, your brain going. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. So, American Ripper, like I said, a lot of circumstantial evidence. There is, again, circumstantial evidence that he may have killed his two cousins. Separate times, Mary Mudgett and Olin Mudgett were found dead. They were very young. They were found dead in the river. Holmes was about 10 years older than Olin. Olin was five at the time of his death, and Holmes was 15, so very capable of committing some kind of murder. So in his small town, there were several deaths that today look like homicides. But then a lot of them were, like for those two deaths, I think they were both labeled as drownings. But I don't think they just drowned. We don't know a lot of H.H. Holmes's backstory and like where his killing started and everything. We don't we don't know a lot of that information. Um, He was a complete and total pathological liar. So it is believed that he's behind some of the deaths as a young teenager, but there's no physical evidence to tie him to those. So murder was very rare predating the 1900s. And as I learned that murder was an extremely rare occurrence, I also read that a lot of deaths were labeled as suicides and some of them were most definitely murders. So I think they just didn't know. I don't know. They just didn't have the the technology or truly just didn't want to believe that somebody was murdered. I was going to say they probably don't want to like everyone. Religion is still very heavy and deep inside people today but like i feel like there's a hardcore refusal that god would allow this well and i think so much is that of that is like publicity or like a small town that he was growing up in in new hampshire probably didn't have like the police force and stuff that was ready to handle that and it just it makes any city sound bad yeah and so even in 1893 in Chicago, where he probably did a lot more murders than we know about, they didn't even want the press releasing anything about murders because it would deter the World's Fair. So, oh yeah. So one of the things that was interesting in some of the things they called suicides were like throats being slashed. And somebody choosing that as their way to go is extremely unlikely. And yeah, sometimes it was happened, like, but- it's it's not common. And some of it was like, ear to ear throat slashing and they were like oh suicide like uh, oh. Mm, no that smile that was like straight no. up demon yeah <laughs> so anyway circling back this happened in the areas that holmes visited he could actually be tied to more murders and even more weird some of his murders were consistent with jack the ripper style killings kind of in you know in areas that he had went to is what i was kind of saying so like in chicago i'm not sure about new hampshire in philadelphia even in toronto um places he was known to go were jack the style ripper killings and so that's one of the other sort of circumstantial things where they connect him as a a good candidate for Jack the Ripper. So if you're interested in watching that documentary, like I said, it's currently on Hulu and it's called American Ripper. It's just, it would be great if we could get some DNA evidence, but the Ripper and Holmes stuff, it's just, it's really compelling, but again, just no certainty. So uh, the University of Michigan Medical School is where 
Holmes, or at the time, Mudgett, uh, was focusing. He was majoring in chemistry and anatomy. He graduated college in 1884. What's unique about his graduation is that a lot of serial killers actually don't graduate college due to the fact that they just lack self-discipline. He was smart um, and was self-disciplined, and he was curious, and he was a disciplined student. So, like I said, that's what's weird about like the Taurus thing, because there's very few serial killers that are Tauruses Mm -hmm. and he is like an oddball and even his styles in killing are not like for the pleasure of killing like a lot of his death a lot of the deaths associated with him there's not a whole lot of like torture and things like that that we typically see with serial killers is there a sign that you know of that is more standard for serial killers if you say gemini no no, i don't think it's gemini i know it over this desk right now oh my gosh for some reason i'm thinking like sagittarius and like aries but i have to double check that Mm, sorry julie and kim (laughs) i know you're listening shout out Okay, so I had to look it up. So it says on NBCBoston.com, astrology zodiac signs research the astrological signs of over almost 500 serial killers to see which zodiac sign contains the most killers. In their research, they found that Cancer, Pisces, Sagittarius, and Scorpios accounted for 40% of serial killers. Gemini and Taurus together only had 11% of serial killers, which is nice to know if your friends fall under those signs. Woohoo! You guys are safe with me. Safe with me. We're both Taurus and Gemini. Capricorns had the most victims total on average than other signs. That makes sense. Cancer has the deadliest serial killer with Samuel Little and his 93 victims. So that's just an interesting thing to think about. So getting back on topic. Noteworthy also for the time. So during H.H. Holmes' time in college, he was doing a lot of dissecting and working on cadavers. What's interesting for the time is that cadavers are hard to come by because people in the 1800s are not donating themselves to science. So uh, medical schools would pay hundreds of dollars at the time, which is equal to thousands today, for bodies. So really all this did was encourage grave digging and later for homes, killing and literally being able to sell the bodies for, for profit. So after graduation, he worked various jobs, 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 including teaching and as a druggist, which is really a pharmacist. A druggist. Yeah, a, a druggist keeps getting used and then I started using it. There were some incidences that led him to change his name, though, to Henry Howard Holmes, which included a missing little boy that he was associated with, um, a customer at his pharmacy that died after taking medicine that he gave him, and one of his biggest scams that he did continuously throughout his life was defrauding insurance companies with life insurance scams. If any random person asks you to get life insurance and name them as the beneficiary and is not your spouse or child, you should question it because... We're real. We've heard too many stories. Too many. And if you saw um, the thing about Pam, and like I had already known that story before, like that is, that's on peacock your random people should not just be asking you to name them on life insurance as a beneficiary because that's already shady and that just makes me sad because the people that don't have people close in their life to look out for them they're usually the victims i mean the thing about pam the husband should have been maybe paying a little bit more attention but yeah again well you can't really blame them either it's just a there were other avenues to go than your weird shady friend pam so that 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 just 
just really sucked. That that just sucked. So that he kind of discovered this idea while he was in college with classmates because they would use those cadavers and they were like, hey, it would be interesting to scam life insurance companies and use these cadavers to look like somebody died. Um, and we would be the beneficiary and probably the one to have to like go name or claim the body. So at this time, H.H. Holmes became his primary alias that he used, but he does have several aliases that he uses throughout his life. So this is what makes his crime street crime spree very hard to follow because IDing like ID at the time was not really existent it would yeah. either it was easily easy to fake or it's just whatever you told people um so even like when they were trying to see if HH Holmes was in London at the time because he all by all accounts he was not in Chicago during the time of the Jack the Ripper. That's another one of those. It's circumstantial. We yeah. don't know if he was in London, but the shit manifests, they don't look at any kind of ID. It's it sounded like you said shit manifest. Shit manifest. No. Shit manifest. It's whatever you told the captain or yeah. whoever was taking the list. You know, my name is Jane Lincoln, and that's what they would and write like, down. At that time, it could be like a catch me if you can scenario. And he told his buddy in London, like, hey, will you dress like me every other day and walk around so people think they spot me? That's so interesting. Yeah. So this is how he was able to get away with a lot of scams and why it's really hard to follow everything he actually did. Um, so Holmes moves to Chicago in um, 1886 after he changes his name and starts his new identity. So he moved to the area of Englewood, which was bustling and growing at the time. It had the most amount of trains and rail traffic daily, which is basically what he wanted. He wanted people coming in and out of his area. So Edward Holton was a druggist and owned a pharmacy in Englewood on 63rd Street. He suddenly dies. So this is not a confirmed killing for Holmes. Some sources say that Edward Holton died of cancer. Either way, this is Edward Holton is who Holmes was working for. When he died, he told the wife, Claire Holton, let me buy your business. You'll be fine. It's like your retirement. You'll be financially secure. She let him buy the business. He convinced her that she would be financially okay. She signs away the business and mysteriously Claire vanishes. Uh, people kept inquiring about her whereabouts because her husband just died. She's now the owner of this pharmacy. He says, no, she sold it to me and she took the money and now she's traveling. And then people would say, when's she coming back? When's she coming back? So eventually he settled on a story that she went to California and she was never heard from again. So he was a con artist in every single way. As a druggist, he even sold elixirs. He swore were some sort of special like healing elixir and he was just, it was just Chicago's public water. <laughs> Sucks. Yes. I mean, I'm sure some of it had a placebo effect on people, but yeah. he was a friggin' phony. And like I said, he already had people that died under medicine that was given by him. I mean, he was just shady. I mean, yeah, once you understand, I mean, he's a serial killer. He does not give a shit about other human beings, so he will he doesn't. give you. And that's what's interesting is, like, I think he likes the power of I'm the one that's ending your life. But because a lot of these deaths are by like some kind of poisoning or something like that, it doesn't seem like he cares to like watch you suffer or anything like that. Well, he he just likes the power. It's weird. (laughs) It's weird. I mean, he's an absolute scoundrel of just on every level. So, but what he does have going for him is a likable personality. And I find that to be an unfortunate trait in a lot of sociopaths. 
People always talked about his charm. He could talk people into doing things all the time. He was very smart. He was fashionable. And the ladies liked Mr. Holmes. So sometime after he purchased the drugstore, he was selling his and selling his famous elixirs. He purchased a lot across the street from the drugstore on 63rd and Wallace. He began building a three-story building that took up the entire block. This is what will become known as the murder castle. So one thing that I've always been interested in is while the murder castle was being constructed, this is where Jack the Ripper was slaying in Whitechapel. So it again kind of goes back to it's plausible that while this building was under construction, that Holmes maybe took a trip over to London. Because one of the other things that came out in the documentary is a lot of people believe that Jack the Ripper was American. Um, there were two confirmed letters from Jack the Ripper that only the police knew, so... People confirm those as Jack the Ripper letters. The language, of course, has been analyzed for years and years that some of the verbiage used were American, not interesting, not British English. It was yeah. American English. So that, again, I found really interesting. Again, just a little, little side note. Don't know exactly where H.H. Holmes was. But anyway, so the building was being built unconfirmed if he's the real Ripper, but I just, I keep finding that just an interesting little anecdote. Do you think we'll ever find out? I mean, we're pretty advanced in our technology. I know it will continue to advance, but can it advance so much to where it will magically find the answer? I feel like too much time has passed. I think too much time has passed. And and there is only like one piece of evidence that still exists and it's a Shaw from one of the victims. They did test it for DNA. They did find one male DNA on it, and they did match it to somebody. I think it's Aaron somebody. He was like a barber in the area, and he was a suspect. But again, how many hands has it touched? I mean, yeah. that's always going to be the question, and it's 120-plus years later. So, you know, I think that that's their Aaron the barber is like one of their highest suspects because his DNA was on it and he was a suspect. Maybe it was him. Who knows? I don't know. Jack the Ripper can't be A.A. Ron. Oh, I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. It's that one has just always fascinated me. And what's fascinating is not to discount the victims, but there's five victims and there have been like so many other, you know, murders or murderers and more deaths from single people that have happened and we really focus everything on jack the ripper but i think that's because that was like the world's first serial killer yeah for sure because we didn't even know about you know holmes's doings here in the u.s for a little while after that so what's interesting about the building of the castle on 63rd and wallace is there were no known plans given to the builders so i know i kind of compared him to sarah winchester last time only holmes had a plan and he drew it himself he'd been planning this building for a while and he only kept the plans to himself I know we talked about Sarah Winchester kind of being a similar um, architectural style as him in the sense that, that. but she, I don't think had a plan either. She kind of, I don't want to, didn't completely fly by the seat of her pants, but you know, she didn't have a plan. And then for 38 years was working on that one plan. Not that we know of anyway. There's some similarity. And she also cared so much about the people that the gun killed. She's nothing like H.H. Holmes who. Well, we don't know her thoughts on that. That's all. That's all rumor. I know. But, I know. But we talked last she, night. She was a giving person. We know that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Holmes, not a giving person. And his he did have a plan. His whole plan was to make this like 
a giant trap. So no one knew the ins and outs of the buildings because nobody had a plan. Often the builders were tasked with tasked with very specific jobs, like just to create a staircase. Or in one case, Holmes purchased a really large safe. It was essentially a bank vault on credit. And he tasked the builders with just building around it, like building a wall around it. When the creditors showed up because he did not pay for this bank vault, he wasn't making his payments, he told them to basically repo the vault. But if you damage any of my building, I'm going to sue you. So they ended up backing off. And he had this situation happen quite frequently. He used his various aliases to buy things on credit and then he just never paid it. That's kind of a smart move back then. Right? I know. Like Holmes is probably the reason like IDs and social security numbers and everything exists. Like you, you have to be like, yeah, like he's admitting he didn't pay for it. But like, if you ruin my building, then yeah. Yeah. What are they going to do? I mean, today we have better lawyers and stuff and there's fine print people, but Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a paper trail that you can't get away from. None of the construction workers stayed long, and either they were just given that one small job and then they weren't hired again, or they were let go and many times unpaid because homes would claim they didn't do their job correctly or something like that. So he Sounds like my old boss. was just a creep on every level and cheated a lot of people out of money. Um, so he sold his previous pharmacy across the street that he got, um, that he purchased from Claire Holton, or maybe he didn't actually purchase it. I don't know. Maybe she just signed it over to him and then he killed her. He sold that pharmacy to a pharmacist promising he was not going to open up another pharmacy nearby. Once Murder Castle was completed, the bottom level had shops that included his relocated drugstore. And yes, he opened it right back up after he sold it because he's not a man of his word. And a jewelry shop, a restaurant, and some other stores. So two of the other floors above that, there were around 70 rooms for lodging. Another article said 100 rooms. So anywhere from 70 to 100 rooms for lodging. So this was in within two miles of the fair's location. So this was very ideal for him to have a place to house these out-of-town visitors. So Holmes liked women. He was actually married. What? Um, yeah. I didn't know that. His wife, it, and and he had a daughter. Oh, hence hence him having a great-great-grandson. Um, oh, yeah, he yeah. did actually have kids. According to this first wife that he married, he was a good dad when he was around, um, doted on are. her and everything like that. Or so, usually are. But I don't think he was around that much. And he kept his wife at bay, like at bay bay. Uh, bay bay. Bay bay. Like they only he connected kept her, on the wedding night and then... He kept her <laughs> as far as possible because he was interested in having affairs and other things like that. So she was with him initially during like the construction and stuff like that. And she was shadowing him everywhere because he was flirty and she was jealous. And he ended up getting her an apartment far enough away so she wouldn't just pop by on him. So... He even turned male guests away from the hotel because he wanted to keep the space open to female guests. So it wasn't just guests of the castle, though, that were some of his victims. He hired a lot of women to work for him in the two years that he was in the castle. Yes, two years. Upwards of 150 stenographers who were like his assistants or secretaries worked for him. Two years having like 
150 secretaries. Some were, of course, having affairs with him. Several of them did go missing. Um, But Chicago had so much going on at the time, there was absolutely no way for the police to keep up. So even if Holmes was questioned about their whereabouts, he could say that they moved or left town, and that was the end of the questioning. Yeah, and then again, Chicago is just now booming. People are coming there to visit, and they're also coming there to move. You don't know where people when are people are. I can't speak <laughs> when people are in or out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. People are in and out all the time. There's no way they can keep up. And they even looked into having a special department for missing persons in Chicago because it was becoming a serious problem. And I'm not saying Holmes is connected to all these missing people, but there was an inordinate amount of missing people. Yeah. So the second floor of this hotel, so so the first floor were the shops, then there's the second and third floor that had the two rooms. The second floor had the most amount of traps and weird things that he could use to kill people. So the second floor had an asphyxiation chamber. Um, he had gas lines that would go directly into rooms and he would turn them on at night and these people would die in their sleep. Again, a lot of them women. And that's another thing that I just, I found interesting. He can't see these people as they die. He turns on the gas. He's not physically present for them to die. And then he brings their body down to the basement. Is it ever said why he kills? Is that like at the end of the story? I know I've heard about this, but I don't know. It's all, every time he kills, it's for profit. Uh, Well, I say every time, almost every time it's either for profit or to off somebody who knows too much about him. Okay. Cause I, in my head, I'm thinking like, is he one of those people that's like reduced population or something? No. Like, <laughs> like lower scale <laughs> Holocaust. He's an extremist. Or, no, 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 like, no. Let's just come to my hotel so I could just kill you all off. And No, he doesn't kill everybody that goes there. Um, So how do you pick and choose? I don't know. But there were certain rooms that were definitely like, and I'm going to kill you tonight. Like there were some rooms that had no windows and only the one door. So there were rooms where I'm sure that he gave them that like to him were special to their last known place to be. 666. So there were, of course, mazes inside the castle, doors that led to nowhere, stairs that led to nowhere. Um, There were false walls in a lot of the rooms. Some of the rooms had five doors that would lead to some kind of maze to confuse the person. Or, like I just said, there would be a room that has no other doors or windows. It's just the one single door. Well, I'm thinking when you're staying somewhere, why do you need more than one door? Like, there's those hotels that have conjoining rooms, but why do you need more than one room yeah. normally? Well, the no windows would be weird. Oh, yeah. I would be like, I need a new room. <laughs> there, but Yeah, but then why do some rooms have five doors, you know? That, and then they, they, they don't really, room. like, lead to something. That would it, it's totally weird. freak me out. Like, someone's going to come out from that door. Yeah. He even had iron-plated lined walls to muffle sound. So if somebody was, like, struggling because they were choking on gas or something like that, if they maybe weren't asleep, they couldn't be heard. Um, So many of the rooms also, I found this interesting, and I don't know what kind of technology he used, um, but I did read that he had, like, various sensors for, like, makeshift sort of alarm systems so that he could kind of tell where people were in their rooms or if they were walking out into the hallway. So he himself did had an apart have an apartment within the building that had a trap door inside of his bathroom that led down a staircase to a windowless square room. No yeah, like a like lit, like a little cubicle yeah, no in windows. the middle of the house somewhere. Yeah. 
And all it had was a chute. And the chute was big enough for a human body that went directly to the basement. So there were multiple chutes in the building that led directly down to the basement. The basement was underneath those storefronts. That was his final phase for his victims. He would bring the bodies down there, and we don't know everything he did to the bodies. Okay, I'm having a a moment here. Um, Of course, I can't think of the freaking name. What is the Johnny Depp movie? Oh. The haircutting? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Oh, my gosh. You're... It's got his favorite, like, sidekick actress in it. She's in a lot of his stuff. That's so weird. I thought you were talking about the Johnny Depp movie. Sweeney Todd. Yes, Sweeney Todd. I thought you were talking about... He's in a Jack the Ripper movie. That's that's what I thought you were talking about. Oh, Oh no! I was Dang it! Hang on, Todd. If that was like some kind of inspiration, no, I have to look it up. Hang on. Okay, the movie we were thinking of was From Hell. That's the Johnny Depp Jack the Ripper movie, loosely based on the Jack the Ripper story. So he would bring the bodies down. H. H. Holmes would bring the bodies down to the basement, send them down the chute. What he did down there is unknown, but. Like I said, I don't think he liked watching the torture or anything. He was more on the medical side of things. He would dissect the bodies. He had a huge furnace down there to get rid of a lot of the evidence. Um, If he didn't just like straight up burn somebody, um, if he was just trying to get rid of evidence, he would use quicklime to burn off the tissue or melt off the tissue, I should say. And then he would actually sell the skeletons to universities and profit from his victims. So he nobody gave a hoot to think where are you getting where are you all getting? these skeletons, man? Nope, nope. They're just finding them outside. Yeah, they just I just found it sitting outside. So Holmes's motive was almost always money. It was either money or getting rid of somebody who knew too much about him. Because yeah, like I said, he was selling those those bodies and stuff like that. Now my personal thoughts, because this is where people really are divided with H. H. Holmes being Jack the Ripper, as they said, the two motives are completely different because Jack the Ripper was only killing prostitutes if it was H.H. Holmes. Prostitutes, or I'm sorry, sex workers, would be easier for him to kill. He doesn't live there. He doesn't have a place to bring them to. We are fairly positive that somebody, that Jack the Ripper had to have medical knowledge um, because of the way these women were killed so quickly on the street and then, you know, some of their organs would be missing. To even know where those organs are, you would have to have some sort of medical experience. For sure. So people say Jack the Ripper had a completely different motive. Like, was he sending a message about prostitutes, something like that? Who knows? He could have been. I do find the missing organs interesting. And to me, that's almost more of a connection to H.H. Holmes because I, I don't know. Maybe he was funding his trip through London. Like, I have no idea what he was doing or selling off these organs. You don't have time on the street to do like a full dissection. Yeah. So I don't know. That was just a, a random passing thought by Ashley as I was doing some of this research. Of course, I'm probably trying to make connections too. It's all circumstantial. We don't know. So he had a lot of life insurance scams. Like I said, he was he sort of came up with this idea in college with another classmate. He convinced people to name him as himself as the beneficiary, and then those people would die suddenly. And that's where many of his aliases were used. It wasn't always listed as H.H. Holmes as the beneficiary. It might be one of his alias names. Dude, could you imagine? I'm just picturing me back in college, 
and like coming up with some brilliant idea with a couple of my buddies. And then years later, you find out like, oh my gosh, Todd, are you actually doing what we talked about 10 years ago? Because according to the news, this is happening. And I I think it's you. I don't really think you did it. And then no one hears from you again. Yeah. Well, don't bring it up to Todd. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So the World's Fair brought in so many new people that it was difficult to know who went missing because nobody knew who these visitors were anyway. And tons of women were coming there alone. So it's not like we're talking necessarily family coming and one of the family members go missing. You're talking about a lot of people that came there alone to begin with. Maybe it's verifiable that they even made it to the city. Maybe it's not. I don't know. And at that time, like women running away from their families is so much more common than it is today. Right. Like, but a lot of these families the farm, going to the city. I want to be a, a dancer. I want I want to meet a wealthy man. I want to get out of this life I'm in. I feel like there were a lot more runaways. There could have been. I, I, I think it was just a, a time for women being independent and like us, if we decided to move to another town, I'd still tell my family, going to Chicago. Yeah. Hit me up. So I think a lot of these families knew they went to Chicago. Maybe they heard from them while they were in Chicago and then they went missing. You know, like I'm sure I'm sure some of that was the case and some of it was they just were never heard from again. Well, for sure. Um, and everyone either way, a terrifying thought. Sorry, I did not mean to really interrupt you, but well, everyone was far more relaxed because, again, we don't have texting or email uh-huh. or communication. It's like just not phone there. calls are harder to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. So you could tell your parents, I'm going to these three states. I'll be back in six months. Maybe yeah. hear from them once or twice via letter. Yeah. Chicago just had a really weird amount of missing people. And in the case of Holmes's Murder Castle, there's not like Yelp reviews or anything so that people <laughs> would like know not to stay there. If anybody goes to a place that's creepy, that turns down men... Or any anybody really of the specific race or sex, but yep, yeah. Let, let the rest of if us. If you're know. getting that weird vibe, maybe you don't need to be staying there. <laughs> yeah. Um. But also let everybody else know. Yeah. So luckily, we do have that communication today, so a lot of places are held accountable. Not just if it was like a murder castle situation, but a bad restaurant or something like that. Like we we have ways of holding each other accountable. My gosh, I would be one of those paranoid old lady gossipers. Like, did you hear about that place at the end of the street? There were three women that went there and they were never heard from again. Oh, shut up, Barbara. They just came by yesterday morning. I love your pearls. (laughs) Newspapers for sale. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, there's no hint to anybody to not stay there. It's an easy place to go for travelers. And Holmes was a known charmer. He flattered his way out of trouble all the time and flattered himself into three marriages simultaneously. I'm not going into his wives because my whole focus is not his entire life. It's kind of focusing on like properties and things he did surrounding these properties but he was married to three women at one time so he 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 was just a bad man um and it was just very flattering to a lot of people so he knew how to get what he wanted so people were walking into their own death chambers essentially this was a perfect sick scenario for hh holmes he had this endless supply of victims coming in need of temporary housing and 
he seemingly offered that to people. So another interesting factoid about Holmes is he also owned a cement warehouse off of the Chicago River, but he actually did not even sell cement. So people believed that he was encasing bodies and that there is maybe tons of evidence in the Chicago River because he was just encasing evidence in cement and throwing it out. And oh, he was shut your whore mouth. I did not know that news. He was but he was always buying cement and stuff like that. And people would ask, like, what are you using it for? Why is that not weird? Even back yes. then. Yes. People don't think that. And people don't think there's this, like, an actually brilliant person. He's just a brilliant psychopath who's doing stuff like this. But what's even weirder is that same warehouse ended up being used by Al Capone and his crew to encase bodies in cement. Oh, naturally. So... The Chicago River could have some, like, real weird, real legitimate evidence, though. But all cemented, like, cemented cubes or cylinders. Yeah, cemented cubes, but it actually, because bacteria and, you know, maggots and stuff like that can't get into the cement, it'd probably be pretty preserved. So it would it would just be really interesting. Sarcophagus. But it's very plausible that some of his victims could still be in the Chicago River today. So just to kind of close out Holmes here, he meets his ultimate demise when he is working one of his many financial schemes with his friend Peitzel. Oh, he fell down his own chute into the furnace? That's not the demise I meant. Okay. I meant, well, I'm just, let me just go on. So Peitzel was suppo- supposed to Peitzel. fake... Peitzel's pretzels. <laughs> oh my gosh. Peitzel was supposed to fake his own death and split life insurance money with Holmes. Because again, who do you think he named as beneficiary? Peitzel knew the schemes that Holmes was up to and knew a lot of the things that he did. And he still trusted Holmes to list him as a beneficiary. They were going to use a cadaver. Holmes was going to have to go claim the body and say, yeah, that's my friend Peitzel. Get the insurance money that was for $10,000 and would split it. And I think that's around like $200,000 today. Instead, Holmes actually murders Peitzel, then burns his body to not show the murder because I think he actually did viciously murder him, cashed in on the life insurance, and then went off to start killing his family members. Peitzel had five kids, so he's a family of seven. So Holmes's plan was to one by one start taking out the Peitzel family. So he convinced Mrs. Peitzel, hey, the police are now on the run for you because they know about this insurance scam. You need to give me three of your kids to travel with so you only have two of the kids. Oh, hell no. They won't be looking for a woman with five children. She trusted Holmes. She didn't know how this whole thing went down exactly. Um, And he did kill those three kids. Um, One of them, a little boy, was killed in the United States. And then the two daughters, I believe, were killed in Toronto. Did he do it a specific way? Not that I'm sure I want to know, but did I'm he not have a- positive we know exactly how they were killed. Oh my gosh, hang on. Okay, so looked up how the three Peitzel children were killed. Um, Howard Peitzel was um, poisoned, maybe with chloroform or something like that, or rendered unconscious. I'm not exactly sure because I don't think we're exactly sure. Rendered unconscious or poisoned, and then he burned his body. The two girls were stuffed into a trunk and gassed. Wow. So that is how the three Peitzel children were killed. But that ultimately is how he gets caught. Um, He did end up arrested and in jail and ultimately was hung for his crimes. There are a lot of rumors that he charmed his way out of the hanging because when they hung him, there was a bag over his head. So nobody actually saw his face. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. 
Ugh, he should have been quartered with no bag over his face. So I see those limbs ripped from his body and him in agony. Yeah, because his he was like a celebrity at the time, like not a popular celebrity, like people liked him. But his killings were so famous. I mean, there were hundreds of people there for his murder. It was in the newspaper. It was just out of control. So there are rumors that he charmed his way out. They put in either a cadaver or another person that was on death row. He was one of the wealthiest death row inmates, though, because, I mean, he was getting paid, like, for his confessions and stuff like that. But even the confessions that he gave were, like, contradictory towards each other. So, again, you're just like, this sociopath is just profiting off the crap that he did. Every single thing he does. Mm -hmm. the, The bones, the confessions. Yeah. So when they started investigating the murder castle, because he did confess, like I said, to murders and a few different confessions, they were just inconsistent with each other. And at the end of the day, he's a pathological liar. We know that he committed some of these murders. We know the story is bigger. We just don't know what it is. And that's where we kind of like spin these crazy tales. And maybe he's Jack the Ripper. Maybe he's not. We don't know. Um, So the investigators of the murder castle, which is kind of unfortunate, were actually just like contractors. They weren't special police investigators. They were, of course, not into forensics. Forensics was in its infancy at the time. So it's so, so unfortunate that when they were going through the murder castle, they weren't like professionals and didn't really know what they were looking for. So put your best guys on the job, though. Yeah. Either way, you killed a man for horrendous crimes. Put your best guys on the investigation. Yeah. So the murder castle ended up getting knocked down in around the 1930s. Today, it's now the Inglewood Post Office. And a big chunk of where the murder castle was located is now the post office's parking lot. Um, The History Channel did try to get in that area to excavate it to see if there's anything there that we can find that would help just tell the story of Jack the Ripper. Because the basement was also down there, and that's where he housed a lot of his stuff. I mean, so that could be under the ground. We don't know. Did you mean H.H. Holmes? What did I say? Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. H.H. Holmes. Of course, they were trying to connect him to Jack the Ripper. And if they could find any evidence that would possibly link him, then that that would be beneficial, I guess. Have you been to that post office in your journeys to Chicago? No, I did not. I have not either. Although I was, I think I was 18 the last time I went. So I need to go as an adult. I probably did not know about H.H. Holmes. 2021, but we only spent like we were in the Chicago area, but like in the city city one day. So we just yeah. tried to make the most of it and pack in as much as we could with the kids. I don't think they'd want to go to a post office, but um, unfortunately the post office would not allow them to excavate. So that area still remains unknown. And World's Fairs post-World War One really died down. Um, they held some, but they were not nearly as grand. Technology has improved so much that people can see forms of exhibits in either museums, television, radio, maybe if you're still listening to the radio. Not the same. No. And transportation has also improved in all sorts of forms, making it easy to just like go visit a lot of these places through trains, planes, and automobiles. So anyway, maybe we'll find out more about Murder Castle one day. There's a lot that's still so unknown about it because they just, they didn't send in the right people to properly investigate it. And Jack the Ripper died with a lot of the truth so that really sucks the truth is out there is it though or is it buried and cemented and at the bottom of a river 
Could be. I'm sure there's a lot in the Chicago River. I mean, like, think of East River in New York. I mean, oh it's gosh, just known yeah. as a dumping ground. Just like, how, how come people, I feel like if I was, if I could stomach death or bodies you know like I I would never be a doctor or even a nurse or even like a school nurse (laughs) like things gross me out but like I feel like there should just be like people that enjoy that stuff just scuba diving every day yeah looking for tell us what's down there please like find the treasure people have been looking for forever from pirates and find the bodies find evidence of everything I mean if they can go all the way into the depths of the ocean to find the Titanic just dive into a fucking river and see what bodies you see there see what cases you can close that seems like a I think it's maybe just like money and time they don't want to spend doing it. I know, but maybe that's something we can think about of creating a It is interesting a, to a think. nonprofit like let's rally together a group of people that can stomach it and <laughs> send them diving. There Oh man, <clears throat> not for diving in the rivers, but there is actually a group that goes out there looking for missing people. Um, in well, Houston there is a group well, that you can well, work with. Yeah, when people are like currently missing. I'm talking about Let's, like, solve a bunch of cold cases. That would be great. I think it's the time and money. And, like, you and I don't have the experience. First off, I don't even want to go scuba diving, so I have yeah, no I expertise in it. I would like to review all of the information, but you guys can handle the dead bodies that you're pulling up. And the smells? Just send me the photographs. <laughs> send me the photos. Send me photos. Send me a postcard of it. And, uh, you know, I'll try to connect it to cases. See what I can do. Yeah, I don't think we have that expertise. But hopefully mm-hmm. one day, I think um, Jack the Ripper, that would be one. And honestly, I mean, those victims, they that, that part needs to be told. Yeah. Who their sure. murderer is and were they ever brought to justice in any form or fashion. Obviously, they weren't brought to justice on those five murders, but, you know. I would like to know whose dumbass idea it was to put a freaking potato sack on H.H. Holmes' head. Well, they did that a lot for hangings. I know, but for serial killers, that should not be allowed. Yeah. Like, no, it should take take it off. Everyone sees your face. Everyone knows it's you. Yes, um, I feel like that's what people I think need. what happened on that one is he walked out to the crowd, and then they took him, I don't know, maybe underneath the gallows or something, and put a bag over his head, and then he came back out. And so that's why so many people, even then, were speculating that he was not the one that was hung. built so many weird contraptions. He could have built the gallows himself. And yeah, like- and there were still murders that were... His sort of style um, taking place, Jack the Ripper style, also kind of throughout. I think he, if if he didn't get hung, which I'm not saying he did or didn't, I don't even know what I believe. I'm just open-minded to everything. So anyway, I think he at least left Chicago. But there was one woman that claimed in the white in the sort of Whitechapel area of London because there were 13 eyewitnesses to Jack the Ripper, and in his description. He is like a, you know, wore the hat for the time, mm-hmm. moustached, white. Yeah. Um, a lo- unfortunately, a lot of it was like, he did look a lot like H.H. H. Holmes. H.H. H. Holmes looked like a lot of people yeah, then, it was, too. Yeah, it was definitely the fashion of the time with the moustache and but the hat. And one woman, one of those eyewitnesses claimed 25 years to see the same person that she named as supposedly Jack the Ripper saw him again 25 years later. And so that was another one of like, did she actually see him 25 years later? He could have, I mean, people age. I mean, there's people from high school I don't even recognize anymore. That's also, yeah, that's so fascinating because when you see someone that 
did something traumatic, you don't forget their face. So if you saw them, you would be like, I know that's fucking him. You'd get those chills up your spine. I'm but, getting teary-eyed thinking of it. Like, you don't forget a face, no matter their age, because you know eyes. But think about Albert Fish. Like, Ugh. the mother, right? He lured a child away. The mother essentially allowed it. Yeah. Said, yeah, you can take her. See, yeah, see y'all tomorrow. Whatever. That mother named the wrong man, like, three to five times True. before she saw Albert Fish. And so something traumatic did happen to her, and that's her own child, like this other lady. But I think she was too comfortable. I don't think she was really looking at the guy's face, right? I mean, that was... I'm was looking like at the friend. face of anyone that's taken you, you my are kid. now, because that's today's times, but... Wasn't Albert Fish in, like, the 50s? It, in it's, the 1950s? Yeah. Is it, wasn't it? Like, I think it was before that. I can't, I can't even remember his time. I honestly remember that story about the mom because I was like, dang, it's so unfortunate. Yeah, like, she like, wants to so bring her, the killer to justice so bad, she keeps naming the wrong person. Yeah, but that's why I think, like, in those times, you're just so much more trusting. I mean, it was... Yeah, we're or, talking about the 1800s. I know, but you're like talking I, about the she 1950s. She said she's witnessed Jack the Ripper. Yeah, who she like claimed saw, was supposedly Jack the Ripper. She said she saw 25 years later. If you saw a murderer, that mom whose child was taken by fish did not see a murderer. She saw a neighborly man take her kid away. So that is not as imprinted in her head. Does that make sense? Yeah, except I can't imagine not imprinting that in my head. Well, I know because we would never do that. We need their cell phones their spouse's cell phones yeah. your address you're probably dropping the kid off not letting somebody pick up your kid uh, and yeah. walk away your kid's probably not going to a birthday party of some kid you've never heard of i know we live in a time where i just have to tell my kids like look i don't want to freak you out but you don't know i mean because this happened with jack not that long ago like he walked into one of the neighbor's houses that i don't know he doesn't know and he's like well my other friends went in i said look you have to I hate to say this to you, but you have to think about what if they let you in the house, shut the door, and you're never seen or heard from again. It is much better because he even said he was uncomfortable doing it. I was like, it is better to be like, I have raging diarrhea and I have to go. Then walk out and live than any of the other possibilities of something that could happen. Like, you know, I you just to have to think it, like that. I happened to be at your house when that happened. And that was a great parental moment. Telling your kid it's better to have raging diarrhea. Like, yeah. <laughs> say something embarrassing to save your life for real. Because that's the world we live in. And we see murder every freaking day now. It's not something Yeah, we hear weird. about it on the news every day. Lainey and I don't see it every day. <sighs> I mean... A lot of people see a lot of dead people every day, yes. unfortunately. So Yeah, it is. We live in a dark world. So on that note, let's leave here with H.H. H. Holmes and leave his dark world and his murder castle to history. And we thank you for listening. And if you have any fun real estate stories, hit us up at hauntedrepod at gmail.com. If you would like to donate, we are on Patreon at hauntedre and get us on the gram at haunted.real.estate and we will see you next time where Lainey will be hosting and it's gonna be a riveting it's gonna be uh something i might be wearing depends guys i'm not a very good host (laughs) she doesn't know she's never done it be patient be Be kind kind. have a great day a goodbye